The whispers were circling around Parliament Hill, and they became louder this week as the federal liberals and NDP announced a supply and confidence agreement, which could keep the liberals in power until 2025. Will it last that long? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. The talks were off and on since January and really ramped up during the Ottawa occupation by the so-called trucker convoy. The deal means the NDP will support the Liberals on a number of policies they mutually agree upon. Think dental care, think national pharmacare. And we'll also see the NDP support the Liberals on confidence votes like budgets. It could spare Canadians a trip to the ballot box for three years. Our unpublished.vote question asks, will the supply and confidence agreement between the two parties last until 2025? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. The Conservatives claim the agreement is not democratic and was not what we voted for in the last election. Coming up on the show, we're going to chat with Carl Nirenberg of Rabble, who covers the Hill. As well, Carl Belanger, president of Traction Strategies, will join us. First, I am pleased to be joined by Lydia Milgen, professor of political science at the University of Windsor. And Lydia, Conservatives have been branding this as a coalition but technically it's not. What would define a coalition? So a coalition would be a formal agreement and it would really require that members of the NDP caucus join the Liberal cabinet and be part of the Privy Council. And so we haven't had that since, I think we had it once in 1917 uh, federally. And I don't think we even had it provincially though. I could be wrong on that. I mean, the most recent supply and confidence agreement was, I um, can't remember the year, but it was a few years ago in, British Columbia. And that was actually a more formal one because it really was to prop up a, a government. If you recall in BC, the Liberals had won the election. They lost a non-confidence votes. And then the Greens uh, said, we're going to support the NDP to form government because it only had three seats difference. Um, so it was a really tight race. Anyway, the, uh, that, that was a supply and confidence agreement. And it didn't, it didn't last the full mandate. Uh, Horgan decided to to pull the trigger earlier than the agreement required because he knew he could win a majority government. You know, we hear so much about Canadians wanting to get things done instead of you know watching their politicians constantly bickering. Do you expect Canadians to react positively to this? I don't think so. You know, it's not that this is undemocratic. It's clearly democratic. Parliament can do whatever it wants. And, the you know, there is nothing in the Constitution that even mentions the prime, you know, that mentions sort of the, the party system that we have. So, you know, the, 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 the government is in power because it has confidence of the House. And so this is just the NDP formalizing that they, in fact, do have confidence in this government in exchange for uh, things that they have, they value. Now, the question, you know, what, what the liberals and conservatives, uh, the liberals and NDP are saying is that, well, you know, when you combine all our votes, Canadians voted for this. Well, no, they didn't. Some Canadians voted for Liberals, some Canadians voted for NDP. More of them actually voted for the Conservatives. So if you really wanted to be democratic, if you really wanted to represent popular will, it would be a supply confidence agreement between the Liberals and the Conservatives rather than the NDP. But nonetheless, it is allowed. Uh, it's perfectly legitimate. The question is with whether or not we accept that. And my concern about all of these things, and one of the reasons I'm not really a, fa a fan of, say, electoral reform in, the, in, in terms of proportional representation is because you're much more likely to get this kind of thing happening. You're much more likely to have coalition governments. And what that does and what we see here is it leaves the public out of the conversation. You know, we have a vote at the election time, but then if it ends up being a minority government, 
all the decisions then are left out of our hands and it goes strictly to the political operatives. And I think that's where people find this um, unsavory, if, if nothing else. What are the political risks uh, of this move for, for the prime minister? I don't think he has many risks. I think that this just allows him to basically govern as if he had a majority. And again, I'm not even making this that big of a deal, considering that they could always, we see that since 2019, the Liberals could always rely on the NDP to support them. They didn't uh, vote against them in any of their, their budgets so far. They didn't attack them when it came to the throne speech. Anytime Trudeau said, I'm going to call this a confidence vote, he could rely on the NDP to do so. So I think what this does is give him a little bit of cover. He can now introduce more spending. He can introduce big, big ticket items like pharmacare and dental care. And if it gets really expensive, he can blame the NDP for the expense, but then take the credit for uh, helping out the people. So I think that, you know, and we've seen this in the past, that usually it's the, the, the minor party that gets punished at the polls and the, the major partner actually ends up coming back with the majority government. At least that's what happened with his father back in the 70s. And so that, then I was going to lead into it. So what are the risks for uh, Jagmeet Singh? The risks are huge. You know, if you and I've spoken to a number of people this week who, who admitted that they were NDP supporters and they're saying, well, what's the point of voting NDP? You know, it's, it's like if I'm going to have a liberal government anyway, I may as well just vote liberal. And at least then I know what I'm getting for. So it, it is a big risk to them. And Jagmeet Singh himself had admitted that this probably wasn't the best political move, but he you know, claimed that he wanted to help people and and he was more focused on that. Um, it, it makes them irrelevant in some respects, and it makes their voices in parliament sort of muted because now rather than being an opposition party, which you could attack the government from the left or the right. Uh, the conservatives will attack from the right. Now the NDP attacks are going to seem more like cheerleading. And we got a little bit of a hint of that with the debate on the Emergency Act. The, the NDP, again, could have been a stronger voice, especially since they're the party of protest, to really be questioning the government on whether or not this was an appropriate policy. They could have voted with them at the end, but their speeches could have been more hard-hitting. And instead, they were basically echoing and championing the position of the liberals. And I think that that harms them in the long run. And that's the harm to democracy, that you're not having an opposition party do its job, which is to provide constructive criticism and feedback. Yeah, you brought up that, you know, the two parties have been working together since since 2019, the, uh, the NDP obviously supporting the liberals on a number of confidence uh, issues. So really, the only difference in this arrangement is the fact that they went public with it. Is, is, that, is that what I'm getting out of this? Yeah, and the other thing it does is it does make it less, I mean, the, the drama goes away, right? Because there's that will he, won't he kind of question, which, again, I was never, I, I, you know, I, I, Jagmeet Singh had never really opposed the government much uh, anyway, so that wasn't much of a nail biter. But nonetheless, it sort of reduces the ability for Justin Trudeau to then call anything a confidence vote because that drama goes away. He knows he can now rely on the NDP to support him. Now, of course, they both say either party can have an out if it doesn't work out. But again, you know, what's the NDP going to do? They don't have the money to fight another election. They don't have an appetite for another election. So it's really in their interest to want to hold this out until uh, 2025. How does this play into the conservative leadership race? I think it helps them somewhat. I mean, it certainly allows them to 
choose a leader without the threat of, a, of, of the government pulling the plug over the summer months, which could have happened, you know, not that Justin Trudeau is not unlikely to, to want to back foot the, the Conservatives. So they know that they can go into their leadership race to September. And it also helps whoever the leader is to establish themselves over the next few years. Um, so in that respect, it, it does give them a little bit more comfort in, in their ability to select a leader. But I don't think it really benefits one candidate over another. I've seen some chatter about that. But honestly, it's really, um, it's just giving them time that they're not um, they don't have the same sense of urgency as they might have prior to this formal agreement. So do you see that uh, Canadians won't be going to the ballot box for three years, or do you see something derailing this agreement before 2025? Um, I don't see anything really derailing this agreement. Only, uh, the only thing that there's a couple of things that could happen, and that's sort of what the speculation is, right? So, so the question is, why does Trudeau want to do this? He didn't have to do this. Why make an agreement? One argument is, is that he's lost his appetite for, for being in power. He wants to sort of govern for the next few years without having to worry. Then maybe in a year or two, he steps down. They allow for a liberal leadership race. That's, that's one scenario out there. Another scenario is that he'll play the, the NDP as long as he wants. And then when the polls are favorable to him, he'll pull the trigger anyway, much like John Horgan did. So um, it, it could go either way. My money's sort of on the first scenario that really this is an off ramp for Trudeau himself. And it gives the liberals the opportunity to, um, to, to take a little bit of time to select their next leader going into the, the 2025 election. Lydia, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It was nice to be here. Lydia Milgen is a professor of political science at the University of Windsor. Now, the news of this arrangement raised some eyebrows on the Hill when the two parties made their announcement. Carl Belanger is the president of Traction Strategies and a former national director of the federal NDP, and he joins us now. Carl, both parties have been somewhat working together in dealing with COVID supports. Uh, what makes this agreement different than other than basically announcing it publicly? Well, it's long term. Uh, it's stability for the long run. I mean, unless things go south, uh, it means that we were, will not going to have an election until 2025, which I think a lot of Canadians will be a sigh of relief. <laughs> they don't want the shenanigans. They don't want the political games. They're kind of tired of it after two years of pandemic and crisis after crisis and now the war in Ukraine. Uh, I think that stability is going to be welcome. Which, which party comes out of this a winner in your eyes? Uh, we'll see in 2025, really. But on the short term, it is the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau because they get to govern. They get to basically control the agenda in the House of Commons. Uh, the NDP will be the junior player, but they'll play nice with the Liberals for, for the time being, as long as the Liberals deliver the goods. And that's going to be key for them if they want this to last. Yeah, and what, one of the things in their agreement was to to ensure that Quebec keeps its uh, the same number of seats in, in Parliament. Um, that will certainly help the NDP. Was that maybe a shot at the block? Oh, absolutely. It was a shot at the block. It was a signal to Yves-François Blanchet that uh, the bloc is no longer uh, a key player in the House of Commons. They've lost quite a lot of influence because the NDP now is holding the balance of power and is using it which is kind of sidelining the block. Does this change the conservative leadership race? I think it does. Uh, it, it certainly changed the dynamic. Uh, I think it helps Pierre Poiliev more than the others because Poiliev has been the attack dog. He's been the anti-Trudeau in chief. Um, and so I think it mobilizes the base, those that really do not like the liberals and do not like Trudeau and respond well to the uh, socialist coalition scarecrow 
that is being used. And 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 I think these guys will flock to, to Kowalyev's camp. What what do you expect will be accomplished between the two parties with this agreement? Well, the big ticket item is dental care. Um, I think that's where really the, the money is. Um, uh, I think I think it sounds like by by the reading the agreement that the liberals are actually committed to do this. Like other items, like farmer uh, care and the environment, there's a lot of aspirational. You know, we'll keep working to progress towards. Like, uh, but for dental care, there's money. It's going to be the next budget, which is expected within a few weeks. It's going to be the first step. And then there's a calendar, a timeline about how the program will be implemented. That's the key thing. And, and, and for Jagmeet Singh, it's basically following in the footstep of Tommy Douglas as the father of Medicare. Jagmeet Singh is now pushing forward the next phase of Medicare. It's going to be interesting, though, if, if this lasts till 2025, how, you know, the NDP and the Liberal are obviously going to have to go out on the campaign against each other. Uh, how do you see that working out? That's going to be a kind of a strange arrangement. Well, well in, indeed. Uh, and the key thing will be uh, who gets credit for whatever policies and measures or programs are implemented, because that's where the political battle uh, will be between the Liberals and the NDP. Who gets credit from voters? Um, that's the name of the game for the next three years. And it's harder for the junior partner because they don't have the same kind of megaphone. It's not as big. It's not as loud. It's not the ministers. They don't have ministers that make the announcements. So, so the competition will be there. Uh, it's a challenge for Singh. Uh, it's not easily done. Most often in these kinds of arrangements, voters tend to reward the government, but not the junior partner. Uh, there's nothing for uh, electoral reform in this. Do you think that's uh, a missed opportunity by the NDP? I think it was a non-starter from the Liberals. So, mm. so if the NDP wanted a deal, uh, that had to be off the table. Uh, I mean, I think the Liberals opened the door on ranked ballot, which is not something the NDP wants. So uh, instead of having no deal based on uh, electoral reform, uh, they decided to leave that off the table. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think the country is ready to move forward with uh, some kind of electoral reform. Uh, but clearly the two parties didn't think it was a priority. You know, we, we do have a couple of provincial elections on the horizon. We're looking at Ontario in June and, and Alberta as well. And, and in both cases, the NDP and opposition, do you see this as a, you know, a, as a positive or a, or a negative for them, the provincial NDPs, going into the, their next election? Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be a problem more in Ontario than in, in Alberta, because in Alberta, there is no really liberal party, you know, that is competitive. So, so they're not a factor. They're not a real player. But in Ontario, you will hear journalists asking on the campaign trail, both Orvat and Del Duca, are you planning a coalition? Are you planning some kind of arrangement? What are you going to do? And that might undermine the message from both parties who are going to be on the defensive. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Do you expect this agreement to last until 2025? Uh, I think there's a good chance it will, but uh, there's also an opening. If the polls change and the Liberals suddenly feel that they're in the driver's seat, like they did a few months ago, they may call an election early. Uh, similarly, if Justin Trudeau decides that this agreement has given him enough um, uh, runway to decide to take a walk in the snow and, and leave politics, there's room for a leadership race to be organized because of that stability provided by the NDP. And you don't see a, uh, an NDP leadership race before 2025? 
I don't see it happening. I think most New Democrats are quite happy uh, that Jung Mitzing was able to negotiate some things from the NDP policy platform. And uh, and we'll see at the next convention, but I don't see Singh going anywhere. Carl, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Carl Belanger is the president of Traction Strategies and former national director of the federal NDP. Now, the groundwork of the agreement was laid early this year. Carl Narenberg covers Parliament Hill for Rabble, and, and he joins us now. And Carl, were you hearing much about this uh, agreement in the halls at the Hill? No, I wasn't. But, you know, there's still a pandemic on, so you're not getting much opportunity to hang around the halls of the hill uh, as we would have in the past but no this came i'll be honest to me uh, as a complete surprise i wouldn't have been surprised to hear about it um in the immediate aftermath of the last election but i was surprised to hear about it now i think it was uh, pushed by the uh, russian invasion of ukraine i think they sort of felt well there's so much trouble in the world, we should take away one element of uncertainty. That's the possibility of an election in Canada. How do you see this agreement playing out in, in each caucus? Well, in the NDP caucus, there are, there are certainly the more, you might call them the more progressive or left element that are, are going to be enthusiastic publicly, or at least acquiescent publicly, but a little bit concerned uh, privately. I think for the NDP in particular, for many NDPers in the caucus and supporters of the party and members of the party, there's one big uh, concession that they would have liked to get from the Liberals they didn't, which was to proceed with electoral reform. But, uh, you know, there's a solid core in the caucus of people like Don Davies, who is uh, from British Columbia and has been around for a long time, uh, and a number of other of their uh, members who are going to feel uh, very comfortable with this agreement. And there's many potential NDP candidates, especially in Ontario, who won't mind this at all, who almost feel that this would give them a better argument in the next election. It's, it's not, the NDP argument will be, it's not a wasted vote to vote for us because uh, we actually get stuff done. We get results that you want. You don't have to compromise and vote for the Liberals, even if you'd rather support us. For the, um, for the Conservatives, um, the mainstream old line progressive Conservatives, to the extent that there's still some in the caucus, and there's, there's quite a few still, those who would support either uh, Jean Charest or Patrick Brown, will generally tend to say, this is good for our side of the argument, because it shows the liberals are shifting, as they say, left. Uh, I personally don't think that's really much of a shift for them, but that's what they're going to say. And they're leaving more room in the center. But we shouldn't be choosing Pierre Polliver, Pierre Polyev. We should choose somebody who will appeal to those more centrist votes. And if we could take five, five points off uh, the liberals, uh, we'd, uh, we'd be doing pretty well. We'd be heading towards a majority government. For the liberals, um, uh, I think, um, I don't know how many, uh, blue liberals there are still are. There's still some. When Jean Chrétien got elected in 1993, he swept Ontario when he won many, many seats that had been conservative ridings almost for the entire, their entire history, rural Ontario ridings. And a lot of those members, what you, what you call blue liberals, they were more right of center liberals. But he hasn't got many of those 
anymore. I mean, those have gone back to the Conservatives um, since that time. Uh, I think there may be some of the old school liberals uh, more in the kind of political operative category than the MP category who are going to think, well, why are we doing this? We don't have to do it. We're giving away some measure of control. We're signing deals. We're, we, we, we like to have all the power. So I think there'd be a bit of that, but I think generally um, the liberals and their supporters, there's a number of media people. I don't necessarily want to name them. Uh, who've written columns for people, newspapers like the Toronto Star, who will are just portraying this as a big victory for Trudeau. In fact, some people, there's, I mean, I will say my colleague Don Martin, who writes for CTV these days, who tends to be, you know, lean slightly conservative, um, he said, look, the winner here is Trudeau, not Singh. Singh gave up everything. He gave up all his uh, his leverage. And Trudeau's a big winner, and a lot of liberals see Trudeau as the big winner here. You know, you've long lamented the constant bickering at you know, on Parliament Hill and, and in debates and, and lack of movement by Parliament. Do you expect that this agreement will see some progress on legislation? Oh, yes. I mean, this is for sure. Uh, the agreement has specifies a, a bunch of things that they're supposed to pass, <laughs> they're supposed to get done, and it gives you deadlines and timelines. I mean, aside from the two big items of pharmacare and dental care, and dental care is partial, phased in, only for based on income. The you know, there's one immediate one that I mentioned in an article I wrote, which is to set up um, what's called a uh, a um, a registry of people who uh, are who actually control corporations. And the liberals put that they wanted to do it. They wanted a virtue signal, but put it so far in the future that it may never have happened. And as a result of some work that people have done now, as a result of worry that there's uh, Russian money behind Canadian shell corporations and money laundering, they've moved that ahead. You know, that's going to happen this year. That's supposed to happen uh, right away. So we'll, we'll start seeing right away. In the next budget, we'll see, unless the Liberals want this agreement to, to blow up, we're going to see legislation that corresponds to a number of the items in this agreement. How do you see it changing the dynamic of the Conservatives' leadership race? Well, as I said earlier, I think the Jean Charest is going to try to make the argument that this is good for him, that the Conservatives should be choosing somebody like him because this creates space in the centre. The, 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 the way they're portraying it is, and already um, uh, Candace Bergen, the interim leader, is saying, oh, we have, you know, now we have an NDP government, and the NDP would like to say that too. Uh, you know, the left wing in the NDP says, no, now we have the NDP caving into the liberals and we have the NDP becoming a junior partner of the Liberal Party. But still, the, the, the uh, conservative argument will be, if you want to take advantage of that argument, you can't choose a candidate who's too far to the right, like, uh, who's, or who we think is too far to the right, like Pierre Polyev. We should got to choose somebody who's going to appeal to those liberals who don't like the idea, liberal voters don't like the idea of giving leverage uh, to the NDP and of, and of, and worry about uh, stuff that liberals worried about in the Craig Martin days, like how big is our debt going to grow? How, how, how much are they going to be raising taxes on somebody? What's going to go up? When are we ever going to pay back this debt? How much of a deficit are we, are we going to be running, you know, for as long as we know, as long as we cho our children know, as long as our grandchildren know to bring that up back on the table. Uh, I mean, Pierre Paul, the would make the same 
argument, I think there's fear that Pierre Polyev's record and his personality support of the truckers and all that sort of stuff would be would would weigh against him attracting some of the people who are sort of pragmatic, business oriented, middle of the road people who are happy to switch liberal conservative, but who would be reluctant to vote conservative if their leader was Pierre Polyev. Do you expect this agreement to last until 2025? I actually do. <laughs> I have, maybe I just want to live in hope. I actually do because the fact is that we're still not out of this horrible pandemic. We don't know what, look at, what, look at all the numbers we're getting now of, of, of cases going up and of cases going up in Europe. And we may be, God knows what we have to do. So we, we're still going to need to be, have a government that's nimble and can react to the, that, that kind of catastrophe that's facing us here in terms of healthcare. And this war in Ukraine is, I mean, whatever's going to happen in the middle of Europe, it's not going to be wrapped up and settled with a neat bow in the next week, weeks or months. And it means that we're going to be in a newly very, very dangerous and unstable world. And I think both New Democrats and lib liberals, to the extent that they want to be responsible, are going to say to themselves, we owe it to Canadians to give them a government that lasts the term of a government. I mean, I, I, I certainly hope that happens. I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, by the way, I, I just want to add something. People talk about how this is going to really be bad for the NDP because the NDP, nobody's going to have any reason to vote NDP after this, and that's going to be disastrous in the next election. History doesn't prove that, you know. Uh, I think it would be worse for the NDP potentially if you had a coalition, meaning that, 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 that Trudeau gave five or six cabinet positions to NDP MPs, uh, including Jagmeet Singh, and that they were in on everything because that means... Any stupid thing the liberals do, any, any arrogant or corrupt thing the liberals do, and parties in power tend to do something bad, inevitably, the NDP would wear it completely. They'd be also responsible. This way, the NDP says, we're still an opposition party. We're getting the government to enact certain legislation, but we're not in on the inside track. We're not in there when they're calling up their friends at the We Charity and say, do you want an inside deal? We know nothing about that. You can't blame us for that. So they sort of have the best of both worlds. And, you know, Way back, people know Bob Ray now as the ambassador to the United Nations, but he was once the premier of Ontario as an NDP leader. And uh, he made a deal with liberal David Peterson in 1985 that was just like this. It was called confidence and supply. It was that we will support you for a certain amount of time. In this case, it was two years. And in, in exchange for an agreement as this is what we're going to have in legislation. And the next election around, the NDP went up. They had been in third place previously, and they leapfrogged over Mike Harris's conservatives to second place. And then the following election, they won. So two elections in a row, it helped the NDP. They got into power that now they got into power that way. After they got into power, that's their own problem that they squandered that power, or they hit bad luck and bad problems, and they went down again afterwards. But in you know, for two elections for about a decade, it helped the end. It helped the NDP uh, rather than hurt them. And if you look at other countries like Germany, the, chancellor, the new chancellor of Germany right now is the leader of the Social Democratic Party. And they always have coalitions in Germany. They have real coalitions, not just these agreements in Germany, because nobody ever gets a majority there. And he had actually been in a partnership coalition government up until the, previous, the recent election with the, uh, the Christian Democrats of Angela Merkel, and then he won the next election. So it doesn't necessarily mean that, that if you get in, you know, and bed, as it were, with the government as an opposition party, that you're necessarily going to pay a bad price 
later on. I do think Canadians don't really care about that sort of stuff. They care about what what's this mean? What's it going to mean for me? Like, you know, I'm gonna I'm okay. I'm gonna get better if I'm if I'm a poor Canadian. I'm gonna get dental care for my kids and then for me. And if I'm a person who worries about paying for his drugs, I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna get a program where drugs are included in health insurance, which is normal in most countries that have our kind of um, you know publicly funded health insurance program. Carl, I want to thank you for joining us. <laughs> Sorry I talked so long. <laughs> I ate up the clock. Thank you very much for having me. Carl Narenberg covers the Hill for Rabble. Our unpublished.vo question asks, will the supply and confidence agreement between the two parties last until 2025? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guest today on the Unpublished Cafe, Lydia Milgen at the University of Windsor, Carl Belanger of Traction Strategies, and Carl Narenberg of Rabble. And I want to thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.